You're listening to the 10 Bagger Podcast, presented by The Daily Gold. Join us as we uncover tomorrow's 10 baggers today. And now here's your host, Jordan Royburn. Hey everybody, welcome back to the 10 Bagger Podcast. This is episode number eight, and today I'm speaking with Justin Hewn. He is the Uranium Insider. You can find him on Twitter at Uranium Insider, and he's going to tell us why the outlook for uranium over the coming years is very bullish. And if that comes to pass, then uh, there should be some ten baggers in that space. So it'll it'll be good to get some information and knowledge about uh, uh, a let's call it a niche because I wouldn't say it's a sector. I mean, it's all part of the commodity sector, but uranium is a special niche. Justin, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you? I'm doing really well, Jordan. Thank, thanks a lot for having me. It's a, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you today. Well, it's, it's my pleasure to have you on because I'm looking forward to talking about uh, something a little bit different from gold stocks, but I still think it's uh, something that most listeners probably have some knowledge about most listeners probably follow it to some degree at least that's where I fit in um, first things first Justin uh, let's just talk about I mean give it to me in like a minute or so if someone had no knowledge about uranium give me the bull case if, if an average person is just walking down the street and and uh, why should they you know why should they take some money out of their S&P 500 fund or whatever it is and consider or put some of that capital into the uranium space all right so the elevator pitch um so basically uranium uh right now is setting up uh, again to to have a pretty historical bull market in my opinion um this market has a history of uh absolutely bludgeoning investors to death before taking off uh, and doing multi-baggers just life-changing returns like from 2004 2007 um, right now is is a really unique period because um, most of the equities in the uranium space are really beat down, some of them at all-time lows, if not at least at 52-week lows. Um, while we actually have um, improving fundamentals, so there's a, there's a supply-demand picture that's very clear and pretty unanimous um, as far as um, having a, a supply shortfall in the coming years out to the foreseeable future. We have the back end of the fuel cycle all moving positively. I can talk about that more later. And we have the equities moving in the opposite direction. So in my opinion, that's that's a huge opportunity for a contrarian. Now, one, one, I have one question about a catalyst, but I'll get to that second. Because first, I something I've noticed is the energy sector as a whole. I mean, oil and gas, uh, historically very, very cheap, uh, relative... Uh, there was a hundred-year chart floating around on Twitter that I absolutely loved, and relative to the S and P, energy stocks as a whole are historically, and I don't just mean like on a five or ten-year basis. Like if you you got to go back decades, they're historically in that realm as far as how cheap they are. So at some point, you know, energy is probably going to see capital inflows. I think it's going to be a, a winner over the coming years. So uh, how is how is uranium and uranium stocks linked to? energy i mean is it being hurt by the fact that energy is so cheap and is underperformed is it something that uh, could start to wake up when energy starts to wake up is there any linkage there i believe there's some linkage there 
um, historically, there's a bit of correlation between oil and, and uh, uranium. And uh, overall, I think that commodities and, uh, and value stocks are, are just completely beat down relative to growth. <clears throat> and I think obviously, you know, these things always move in cycles. So at some point, that's going to tip generally, I believe, for pretty much all commodities or most commodities at least. Um, but the primary driver for the uranium market is the spot price. Um, so like I said, it does have those correlations, but the spot price, generally speaking, is really what drives it because that's what signals um, you know, the returns for the companies that are producing or potentially producing. Um, so yeah, but the spot price, you know, the spot price is actually in a, an uptrend for the past three years. It's languishing well below the cost of production for most producers in the world, with an exception of um, of Kazatomprom and a couple of other low price producers. But um, really lacking in spot price movement is really, I believe, what's keeping the equities down. Um, even though it's in an uptrend, we really need to see kind of a blast through $30, $35, um, to, I think, to, to really wake up the sector. And right now we're sitting at about 25 uh, just under $26 a pound. Is there any way we can um, time uh, when this sector will start moving? I know it's small and it's, uh, again, a niche sector, but I, I that's been my issue. I remember looking at this sometime, I think in 2018, I had a basket of the uh, basket of the junior stocks that I made and the chart was looking really bullish. And then uh, eventually it didn't break up, break out and it fell off. And so that's something, you know, as someone who looks at charts, I just, um, and I try and assess fundamentals to where there could be some kind of a catalyst. I, it just seems tricky to me as far as when this sector might move and time it. Do you have any thoughts on that and like a, a potential catalyst aside from the uranium price, which you already mentioned? For sure. Yeah. Timing is really difficult in this market. Um, and kind of, you know, disclaimer, this really is kind of a, a, a pure contrarian sort of play. And I think that it's really important to have a certain amount of patience. Um, timing this market in the short term is a, is a fool's errand. Um, but that said, the, the past few years when we've seen kind of a, a bump in, in the spot price seasonally, uh, 2016, 2017, even last year, we, we just about hit 30 bucks. We were having, we still had all of the, the back end elements of the fuel cycle falling. So one example of that is, is the SWU price, separative work unit price, which basically represents the, uh, the cost of enrichment, to just put it really simply. And SWU price had fallen almost in a straight line uh, from 2011. And it turned around last summer, just about 15 months ago, and has gone up in a straight line. And essentially what that signals is there's new demand for uh, enriched uranium. And so we had the spot price moving the past few years, kind of up and down, up and down. That's mainly just been on trading volume. So a lot of the spot volume is just on from traders. It's arbitrage, uh, you know, making a small amount of money on a large amount of pounds, just trading back and forth. It's not necessarily new uranium coming into the into the market being sold to an end user so that's that's why i believe that price movement has been unsustainable but now we have we have swoo price consistently rising which like i said means there's new demand for enriched uranium we have the cost of us uf6 um, uranium hexafluoride which is the converted uranium that's on the move up conversion is at an all-time high right now and part of that is because there's actually a bottleneck in the conversion process on the back end of the fuel supply. 
Um, but we have all of these metrics, and historically, these metrics move first, and they kind of pull the U308 up with it. So we're seeing increased demand for uh, EUP, for enriched uranium. We're seeing increased demand for conversion, and it hasn't quite yet trickled down to the spot, uh, to U308. And so what I really think is the, the primary catalyst here is the, the contracting cycle. So the, the way that utilities historically have secured supply for creating their nuclear power is through long-term contracts, let's say five, six, seven to 10 year contracts <clears throat> that are, are secured with the producers directly. And the last contracting cycle was exactly during the last bull market. We had the mine floods at Cigar and MacArthur. We had a number of catalysts that kind of triggered a panic. And back in that market, we actually didn't even have a deficit, a supply and demand deficit. There was just a perceived deficit because of these events. So we had this, this mass flood into the, uh, pardon the pun, into the contracting market. And so all of these utilities around the world signed these seven to 10 year contracts and production continued to, to increase. So we had at the same time, because Adam Prom just going nuts, increasing their production year over year. <clears throat> and they're still producing a lot. But we had essentially all these contracts signed, many years of oversupply. And those contracts are slowly starting to come off. So we have, let's say, maybe 5 to 10% of U.S. utilities are, are nearing being uncovered with contracts. And the utilities, they might go into the spot market to sort of see if they can acquire some pounds to sort of buffer their inventory because there's been such abundant, cheap spot uranium for so long. But we know now that Kazatomprom is no longer selling into the spot market, and there's only a few consistent sources of spot uranium. So we generally believe that the spot market is thin, but the demand has not showed up very, very in much volume in the spot market. So really long story short, the general catalyst is the upcoming contracting cycle. And I believe that what's going to happen is, let's say over the next year, and I really don't like to put timeframes on this because I do see this as a three to five or more year investment or speculation. But I believe that the spot market is going to thin out and as soon as we have enough volume to actually tip that demand supply uh, ratio in the spot market, spot moves up and that's going to start triggering some utilities to contract. And on just one more note on that, it's the, the, big, the big catalyst for the contracting cycle is that over the next, let's say, five years, we've got more than a couple hundred reactors that are going to be signing contracts. <clears throat> so we're looking at we're looking at potentially potentially up to a billion pounds of uranium, let's say over a five-year period that needs to go into contracts. And we don't have that much on offer. We've got, uh, let's say, less than a half a billion pounds available coming from Kazatomprom out into the future for 10-year contracts. And we've got MacArthur River. And pretty there's a couple of other small players, but pretty much all of the new projects need much higher prices. So we've got let's say five, 600 million pounds in the less than $50 a pound range. After that, we need much, much higher prices to incentivize production that is going to have to come online to meet that growing demand. So I hope that wasn't too rambling, but that's kind of the overall picture that I'm seeing here. No, that's great. And uh, one question I have is um, the section 232 thing where uh, Trump declined to impose uh, quotas 
or um, other measures on uranium imports. I know that that was bad news for the sector. It seemed people were anticipating that. So is there any, I mean, how significant is that to you? Uh, what's the fallout exactly? Give us some analysis on that decision and how it impacted the market. It's It certainly uh, has had an impact on the market, although I do believe that that Trump probably made a good decision in not implementing quotas. Uh, I mean, honestly, the market recovering in general over time is going to be good for all producers, including the U.S. producers. So, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the industry folk are not too happy with the 232 petition because it's sort of inhibit inhibited the market from just operating in a in a quote unquote natural manner. But what Trump did do was implement uh, this nuclear fuel working group. So he sh- he turned down the quota idea. But he said, I recognize that there's there's some issues here with domestic production. Let's go ahead and look into it deeper and address it and see what we can figure out. I really don't have any predictions on this. Um, there was a leak recently that came from Bloomberg uh, of the recommendations of one of the recommendations from the working group, which is that the U.S. government becomes a buyer of uranium from the Department of Defense, Department of Energy, <clears throat> and which would have to come from domestic production. So... I think that if I had to bet, I would say that I believe something positive will come from it, but I don't know on the timing. We, everybody's been waiting when I say the investing sector has been waiting for, for this to just pass so that we can all move on. <laughs> but I do believe, um, I mean, what I've recommended to, to my newsletter is just have some, have some exposure to the, to the U.S., um, to the best U.S. equities for this. Uh, just in case there is something positive. And if there isn't something positive, you know, I don't know how much more they can sell off. It's it's just been so so bloody for the whole market. And once it passes, you know, some normalcy can return and we're expecting there, there to be some improved um, uh, spot market action, things like that once it passes. Is that a big reason why the uranium stocks have just performed poorly this year? Well, it's certainly been a big reason for the U.S. equities because there was so much speculation on 232. There were a lot of short-term traders that came into the space expecting a big pop in you know, energy fuels, UR Energy, the rest of the smaller smaller players in the U.S., and, and they got hit really hard after that, um, after that quota was denied by, by President Trump. So I think that's been one reason, and, and there, there are a lot of traders and speculators that are, that are that are investing or trading around this potential catalyst. And it's just, it's not something that I would suggest because it's so difficult to time and nobody really knows what the outcome is going to be. But yeah, I would say it, it has had an influence on it for sure. So with that said, I mean, let, let's talk about the, the companies and uh, I mean, we don't have to mention every company, but what, so w- with all this being said, w- what are, some of the um, things that you like first let's talk about that what are some of the things that we should all be looking for the traits of these uranium companies that i mean is it a producer is it someone who has lots of pounds in the ground share structure cash etc i mean what what are the things that you're looking for Uh, what's important to you in a you know buying a uranium stock to, to capitalize on what's coming Sure. Yeah, I guess considering um, this is the 10-bagger podcast, uh, I, I generally look at juniors. Um, and so because the market, like I said, is, is difficult to time in the short term and you know, equity is relatively thin out there for, for junior mining companies in general, at least shareholder equity, 
Um, I think it's really important to focus on uh, GNA expenses and dilution when it comes to the juniors. Um, most most of these companies in the junior mining sector are just kind of famous for uh, for producing nothing and diluting shareholders to to fund their operations and their salaries and all of that. So I, I strongly suggest to, um, to to look deeply into the fundamentals um, and look into the into the financials. And so my favorite juniors are ones that have that have uh, really experienced management who's historically have provided greatly for shareholders and are currently respecting shareholders in doing very minimal dilutions, very minimal capital raises. Um, looking at the overall GNA expenses and the cash burn, uh, some of these kind of mid-tier, mid to larger cap um, uranium companies that have that have really great assets are just, are burning so much cash. It's just unbelievable. I, I don't want to mention any names, but some of the big kind of darlings of the sector are just are burning incredible amounts of cash. And, and, and a good chunk of that is on salaries and they're, they're just producing nothing. And they're many, many, many years away from production. Um, so I stay away from those. And, but there are some juniors out there. <laughs> well, sorry to interrupt. You feel free, <laughs> no. feel free to name names if you'd like. <laughs> All right, I'll name one name. Okay, so so NextGen is is a company that obviously has an unbelievably incredible deposit. It's by far the best, largest undeveloped uranium deposit in the world. Um, and and the, the and it will be a mine. I believe that it will be a mine someday. I don't know if it's going to get into production this cycle. Depends on how quickly it moves and how long the cycle lasts. The last one was just such a violent spike. That very few new projects even came online uh, because it happened so quickly. But you know, next gen, like, and I'm, this is not necessarily a suggestion against investing in this company because I think that you know it's a larger market cap. It has good liquidity. Um, it's it's a good one for for funds and ETFs. It's something to just kind of buy a chunk and, and ignore it because when the market moves, I have no doubt that it will. But what bothers me is we're looking at they, they're going to burn sixty million dollars this year. And they've advanced their deposit. They continue to drill and prove out more pounds, which is, you know, that's bringing some value to shareholders. But, you know, 10 million of that 60 million is salaries and bonuses and, and, and options grants. And it's, I just have, I have a hard time with that. I just don't feel that's very respectful to shareholders. It's not justified in my opinion. So I don't really mean to badmouth the company because I do think, honestly, that's the best deposit out there. And, and it probably will be developed. Um, but I have a hard time with, with that type of cash burn um, being so far away from, from production. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, as far as, as far as upside potential, that's really what I've focused on uh, for my own investments and for my newsletter as the juniors, because there's, I think the potential is, is just unbelievable. And, and there's very few out there that, uh, that are really keeping it, keeping it, um, conservative financially while at the same time having a, a good amount of of let's say hunger to kind of uh, acquire assets and or strike when the iron is hot eventually would you be willing to name one and uh, share a potential 10 bagger um yeah actually um one one that i've been looking at recently um uh is a uh, forum energy metals so this is a company that right now is trading, I believe it's around $4 million US market cap. Um, 
to be fair, they've essentially done, uh, they haven't done much for the past decade, but for the past couple of years, they've made some really interesting and intelligent moves. They have uh, staked some properties in Saskatchewan, one of them being a, a, the Janus Lake project, which is a, a copper silver project. And they've signed a, a, an option agreement with Rio Tinto, um, who has done a drill program this year and is, is resulting in some pretty nice um, uh, some, some pretty right, nice copper intersections. Um, they've got a really conservative management team. Their GNA expenses are very low. Um, so I like, I like the combination of financial conservatism and, uh, and making s- intelligent moves in the sector. So there's some companies that are financially conservative that are sitting on their hands. And I, and I, while I appreciate that, that balance between furthering projects, uh, intelligently and carefully, uh, being wise with the capital you're raising and, uh, and and having some good upside potential is really what I'm looking for. Uh, Forum has another, they've got a bunch of uranium properties. Um, they've also recently announced uh, an option agreement with Orono to drill one of their um, projects, which I believe uh, could happen next year. And they also have a nickel project, a uh, nickel um, PGM project in Saskatchewan that looks very promising. So that's one that I'm looking at. Um, you know, and some of these juniors, you know, they don't tick all of the boxes, but at $4 million market cap, it's worth it's worth just a little speculation to, to buy a little chunk and tuck it away in your desk drawer and check it in five years. So would you, I mean, would you consider that a, a uranium company? Because it seems like they're, in, they're, they're involved in multiple, or exploration of multiple uh, commodity projects. Right. Yeah. Uranium is, is not necessarily their focus uh, at the moment because they've got this pretty killer project with Rio going for copper silver. Um, but they have uh, their geologist, Ken Wheatley, is one of the all-time great uranium geologists in the Athabasca Basin. And one of the reasons Orono chose to, to JV on this, on this project, the uh, Fur Island uranium project, is to have um, partnership and cooperation with Ken to actually run the drill program. So they, they definitely have their fingers in uranium and it's nice that they've been able to work on these JVs because I think sometimes companies can get spread thin between multiple, multiple projects, multiple different, uh, metals. Um, but having those JVs kind of eases that and gives them some cash as well to limit that dilution. Is there a a company that's only uranium that, um, you can share that you like? Well, I, I'd like to, out of respect for my newsletter subscribers, maybe not mention specific names um, in the in the uranium sector. But I would say the companies that I'm heavily, more heavily invested in in the junior space for uranium, they're in the U.S. And it's not because of the 232 thing. There's uh, historical uh, companies that historically have done really, really well in the last cycle. The CEOs I, I really trust and respect. And so I guess that's a little hint. There's only about a dozen of them. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. And your newsletter is a it's a free newsletter, though. I have a free newsletter and I have a, a premium newsletter. I have both. So the free newsletter is more just kind of pontification on the sector, um, um, commenting on on what's going on in the sector that I send out a couple times a month. And then the pre- premium newsletter has my stock picks and and I, I send out one or two emails a week uh, just on company updates and things like that. 
Okay, so where where can we go to? I see on, on Twitter you have a link to the free newsletter, but I I didn't know you had a premium one. So where where can we go to uh, subscribe to the premium one? Um, you can subscribe to both just at uraniuminsider.com. Yeah. And the link, the newsletter link is for the premium newsletter, but on the front page you can sign up for the free newsletter as well. Okay, and t- tell us a little bit about the newsletter, like the structure of it and how often you publish and the cost. Sure. Um, the newsletter is it's just under $400 for the year. It's uh, I, I publish... I, I say that I publish two to four times a month, but honestly, it's been more often. I've I, I've just been going with what's coming naturally and what needs to be said. So I, I essentially email when there's news that that I feel is worthy to be shared with the with members. And so what's included is is uh, just all of my current stock picks for uranium and um, and a couple of other uh, junior mining sectors that are somewhat related. And then um, I send out emails. Um, well, it's it's been about once to twice a week when things are active. Uh, a few months ago, things are not very active. I think I sent maybe two emails in in September. Um, and then there's ongoing trade ideas. So, despite uh, uh, the stock picks that are included with a subscription, I send out trade ideas for for new companies um, as they as they they come to mind. Okay, well, excellent. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to following Uranium. And, uh, you know, when it starts to move, hopefully we all can get in the sector at a slightly higher uh, cost basis than you and your subscribers (laughs) and and still still make some uh, 10 baggers. And, uh, yeah, so with that said, said, uh, we can follow you at Uranium Insider on Twitter and uh, UraniumInsider.com. Lastly, Justin, uh, can you share your email address if our listeners want to contact you personally? Yeah, sure. My email address is just uraniuminsider at gmail.com. And I'm pretty accessible through email and Twitter. Just if any of your listeners want to reach out, I'm happy to happy to chat and share thoughts. I, I've really enjoyed dialogue with folks in this sector. It's been really good. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Justin. I and my listeners really appreciate it. And uh, when when uranium starts moving aggressively, we'll definitely have to have you back. I look forward to it, Jordan. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the 10 Bagger Podcast, presented by The Daily Gold. For premium coverage of precious metals and the best junior mining companies, visit thedailygold.com forward slash premium.